Hello, welcome to Law and More. In this episode, we are looking at the very difficult subject of sexual abuse compensation claims. My name is Simon Pimlot. I'm a senior associate at IBB Law. I am speaking with my colleague, Malcolm Underhill. Hello, Malcolm. Hi, Simon. I specialise in acting for victims and survivors of uh, sexual abuse, whether they be children or adults. Malcolm, I appreciate this is a, a difficult subject for everyone. I suppose my first thought is whether it's, in, it's a requirement that the abuse should be reported to the police. Well, much has changed over the last uh, 20 years or so, and I think of uh, Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, the SOA murders, and there's been a considerable amount of legislation, protocols and guidance put in place since that time, the consequence of which there is now a statutory requirement upon uh, individuals in certain roles and uh, certain organisations that should they become aware of allegations of sexual abuse of a child, then they do need to make make a report. But I suppose one of the other big question around this is is whether the individual, the victim themselves, whether they should or they feel they must or make some kind of report to the police. And as an adult, it is a matter for them as to whether they want to make a report. I've acted for many, many people over uh, countless years who have not made a complaint or delay making a a complaint or report to the police for a number of good reasons, which I understand. And the important point to get across is that if an adult who was the victim of a a sexual assault or sexual abuse feels they want to make a report, then certainly they should make a report. But they're not obliged to. It requires considerable courage to talk about these things. And it's my experience that when people first contact me it can be the case that they've never actually spoken to anyone about this before Uh, and so I say to them that you know they can talk to me or they don't need to talk to me the details of whatever's happened Uh, and ultimately it's a matter for them whether they want to make a report to the police or not so it is a matter of personal choice. And what about if there's no witnesses to the accident because people often feel that without a witness they may not be believed it is essential to have a witness? This is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why people don't come forward to make a report, make a complaint or pursue a claim for compensation because they say to me, well, I, I don't have any witnesses. No, no one saw this. It, it all happened behind closed doors and effectively they feel they, they can't prove what happened. Well, the answer to that question is that they can still make a, a claim for sexual abuse, sexual assault, even If it is the case, and it is in the vast, vast majority of cases, that no one actually witnessed what went on, it is still possible to pursue a successful claim for compensation. And as you suggested, much of these cases of abuse happened many years ago, and potentially the abusers could be dead. Would that stop an individual pursuing a claim? The many reasons for people delaying coming forward, one of those is that the abuser is still alive, and they sometimes feel released or feel safer when the individual is dead, that they can make that uh, report. But question, can they make a claim for compensation or rather can they make a successful claim? The answer is still yes. It doesn't apply in every single case, but it can on occasions, in fact on a number of occasions, uh, be possible. But the important point to take from this is that 
a claim is advanced as soon as possible because any delay will be seized upon as a reason for uh, either an individual or organisation not paying compensation. So in an ideal scenario, a report or someone comes forward to make a claim really quite early, but in the majority of cases that doesn't occur. But if they do come forward later and the abuser is dead, it can on occasion still be possible, but not in every single case. And of course, as you'll know, Malcolm, the abuse can happen in many different environments and contexts. So who do you claim against for child abuse? The claim for compensation can be directed either at the individual, the abuser, uh, but that is, of course, subject to them having sufficient assets to meet any claim for compensation and legal costs. Or the more attractive option is and it's not doesn't apply in all cases, but it does a lot, is actually to pursue the claim for compensation against the organisation that they were engaged by. So, for example, if the abuse was uh, conducted by a priest, then you would pursue the church. If the abuser uh, was, for example, a sports coach, then you would pursue their club. And the reason that an organisation is much more attractive is because they are going to be good for the money. Uh, as I previously indicated, you know, whilst there may be in some cases an attraction of pursuing an individual personally, there is no point in doing so. There's no financial benefit in doing so if they do not have the money to settle any claim. Therefore, if they carried out the abuse under the cloak of some kind of role, uh, some an employment, then pursue their employer who are likely to be insured so either the claim can be advanced against the insurers or against the organisation directly. So if someone's taken the difficult step to bring a claim, can you tell us what they can claim for and even the difficult question of how much conversation they might get? Well, it's interesting that you should ask me about how much compensation they will get. Uh, my experience is it, it's, that is the last thing on their mind when they make contact me or want to make some kind of report or ask me for guidance as to what to do. They're not looking for compensation. When I hear of cases that are proceeding the criminal courts where the victim is accused by their offender, you're only making this complaint for compensation. That couldn't be any further than the truth. Victims of sexual abuse do not make claims for financial gain. They want to be listened to, they want to be heard, they want to be acknowledged, they want someone to say to them, yes, we accept what you say, that it is the truth, that this is what happened. And, and, and the reason they want that is because when they were a child, they were often told by the paedophile that they would never be believed. Uh, and they were told this so many times and threatened so much that they've just not spoken about it. So they are fearful about coming forward. And when they do come forward, what they want is an acknowledgement that something did happen. Uh, the compensation, you know, is a byproduct of that. And the compensation they can claim for is generally in sort of two parts. Uh, first is compensation for what actually took place and the consequences upon their physical and mental health. And then secondly, it's a claim for financial losses and expenses. And as we know, and I know from my considerable experience, is that a child being sexually abused has a terrible effect upon them, not just at the time, but for the years following. So it often has a detrimental effect on their schooling, their education at the time, and as a 
consequence of that, their inability to obtain work or even to hold down work. So there often can be substantial claims and you know the claims depending upon the nature of the abuse and the severity and the consequence range from sometimes a few thousand pounds uh, up to a case that, that went to trial I, I pursued on behalf of my client where, where they were awarded over a, over a million pounds to reflect the terrible consequences of the harm that they had suffered. If someone has decided to bring a claim and what would you recommend for them as the first step? How, how do they bring a claim? Well, they should approach a specialist lawyer. There's no doubt about that. There are relatively few in number around the country. There are lots of lawyers undertaking personal injury work, but there are not that many in relative terms of lawyers who conduct uh, sexual abuse compensation claims. So they should certainly approach a specialist because there are very specialist, uh, unusual issues to address. You know, it can be very difficult to pick up the phone and, t- and talk to a complete stranger and, and ask what can be done. But that is the first step, unless, of course, they, they want to go to the police first, which they're able to do. And a specialist lawyer will not ask them uh, about what happened. Yes, if someone contacts me, I will want some idea as to what the background is to the claim that they might want to pursue. But I certainly don't ask in a first or even second conversation the precise detail of what happened. That that just is not important. And that's important for me to convey to them in that first conversation. I tell them, I make it quite clear, I'm not going to ask you what happened. I do not need to know in order to make a determination as to whether they have prospects of making a successful claim. And of course, these issues are very sensitive. So is there anything can be done to protect an individual's identity if they want to bring a claim? Yes, thankfully, steps can be taken. The general rule of of bringing a claim for personal injury or medical negligence, and outside of that sphere of environment, if if you're going to bring a claim and it ultimately leads to legal action being taken, the, the general rule is that you have to put your name on the legal documents that the court will see and the public have access to them. But there is an exception to that rule. And one of those exceptions is that individuals who are bringing claims for compensation that arise out of sexual assault or sexual abuse, whether it occurred when they were a child or when they were, as an adult, perhaps, you know, they've been raped or they're subject to uh, sexual abuse, domestic sexual abuse, then their identity can be protected. So their name will be protected, their address will be protected, uh, and it's very likely members of the names of their family will also be protected too if they're going to give evidence to support the case. So they can have that comfort of knowing their name will not enter the public domain. And you mentioned earlier that it's not always about the money for many of these people who've suffered abuse. Is there any advice you can give about accessing treatment and additional help for the effects of child abuse? Part of the claim will consist of a financial sum for treatment available on a, on a private basis. As we know, uh, the NHS is under-resourced. It, it does a fantastic job, but it's still limited in terms of the mental health support services that it can provide. They're often time-limited. The therapy or counselling sessions are not necessarily a convenient time to the individual, sometimes I find this really surprising, but sometimes my clients are invited to go along to group 
sessions. And the last thing that they want is to have to turn up in a room and um, amongst others and, and, and somehow have to talk about these matters. So as part of the claim, it's possible to ask for the cost of private treatment so they can obtain that and they therefore can A, access a specialist, arrange treatment at a time that is convenient to them and it can continue as long as it needs to, as long as it reasonably needs to. And that's important because again, under the NHS, unfortunately, it can be time limited. Even before they get their compensation, where I'm able to identify the organisation that's responsible and they are insured, then one of the first things I will do is say to the insurer that I want them to fund rehabilitation. There is an agreement between lawyers and insurance companies that they are effectively obliged to consider offering rehabilitation services to my clients, even where they may deny legal responsibility initially or even for some while during the case, they are effectively obliged to give consideration to providing money in advance to pay for rehabilitation services, i.e. counselling and therapy. And I've, I've had a number of clients who have benefited this over the years, and I've got a number at the moment who are receiving money, so they are able to access uh, treatment I immediately. And Malcolm, many clients are worried about legal fees when considering such a claim. Can people still claim if they cannot afford to pay legal fees? Absolutely. All the cases that I conduct on behalf of victims of uh, sexual assault, whether they were victims in childhood or adults, is to conduct their claim on what's colloquially known as a no-win, no-fee agreement, otherwise more formally known as a conditional fee agreement. That means they don't have to worry about paying my legal fees. We take out insurance that they don't have to pay for at the beginning of the case to for fund things like medical reports to prove the harm that they've suffered or the effects of the abuse they've suffered and for court fees and, and, and other expenses. So they can enter into a no-win, no-fee agreement, not worrying about having to pay fees to me if, if they lose. Protection can be put in place. They don't need to worry about paying fees to the other side in the event that they lose their claim. So it really is what it says on the tin. It's no-win, no-fee. They can make that claim without being worried about being exposed to huge legal bills. And finally, Malcolm, there are time limits of all these types of cases. What are the time limits of abuse claims? Well, the standard time for any personal injury claim is, is three years. Uh, if you're a child, that three years doesn't run until you're 18 years of age, so you can bring a claim or start legal proceedings up until the age of 21. But it is so often the case that you know, people come to me, you know, in the late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s, and it can still be possible. There, it's a, There's an exception to this other rule about time as well. So they can come forward, you know, many years later and make a claim. Not every single claim will succeed because there's hurdles to overcome, there's criteria to address, and it's important to demonstrate that there can still be a fair determination as to whether these events took place and what is the appropriate level of compensation. But the important message to get across to individuals who come forward when they're an adult that they can bring a claim well into their 20s, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it does not matter. As I say, it doesn't mean they will necessarily succeed, but I act for many, many clients in their 30s, 40s and 50s who do succeed uh, where they've got good evidence behind them. And just to say one more thing that, you know, I act on, not just act on behalf of adults, 
but also act on behalf of children through their parents because sadly, despite protocols, rules and guidance being put in place in the last 20 years, you know, paedophiles still get access to children and abuse them now. And the message I would have for parents of children is do take immediate steps to help your child. You know, even if you don't want to do anything about making it a claim, do get medical advice about the impact upon your child because you know that they may not talk about it once it's disclosed and they may not talk about it and and, and I can understand a parent's desire not to uh, talk about these things and hope it's gone away because it's now stopped but the reality is if the abuse is not addressed in a child then the danger is that as they mature into adults who's the young people as they enter their teenage years uh, and they become more sexually aware and they enter into more, in, in difficult relationships as they become older, then they will suffer very much, a real risk they will suffer very much along the lines of those adults that I continue to meet who come forward decades after they've been abused. So it's important that whatever someone's circumstances is, whether they're a child or adult, that they seek help, even if it is not to seek legal advice. My recommendation was, you know, seek medical advice to help address those symptoms, or even if, you know, in the case of a child, for a parent to seek advice from a GP uh, to make a referral to specialist counselling services to sort of monitor a child's development and to help them should that become necessary. Thank you, Malcolm. That was very interesting on a, a very challenging subject. If you'd like to find any more information about what we've discussed, please go to our website, ibbclaims.co.uk. Thank you. Goodbye.